Welcome to The Running Public with Bracken Crocker and Kirk DeWint. Whether you are a brand new runner or you already have a great mustache, we're here to help you increase your running knowledge and present it at a practical level. This is The Running Public. When you're ready to take your training or racing to the next level, go to therunningpublic.com. We have both monthly subscription training plans, $19.99 a month, and Bracken and I both offer one-on-one customized coaching. Again, go to therunningpublic.com and check out our offerings. Really bad with social media. I have a whole bunch of things that I'm bad at. <laughs> so. Well, that's because you're in your... Uh, you're you're 40 plus. I think it's just how we Well, are. that and <laughs> I'm realizing now, like Mary Wittenberg with New York Roadrunners told me a long time ago that um, when your kids get to be in junior high age, it is a game changer. Like they are so busy. And now it's even like, I swear, like fifth to eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe even. But we are so busy with them that I can't keep up with everything. So... I mean, and that's not it. I mean, I'm on the road half my life, basically. So it's it's hard for Charlie. And so all this stuff, I'm like, oh, that's the last thing I need to do is sit down at night and do an hour of social media when I have three kids that need me. <laughs> this feels like a support group. Yes, it is. <laughs> We're getting it out before we start this thing. So I don't sound too old and boring. I'm Bracken and I'm bad at social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That I can confirm. I'm with you. Well, I saw a picture you posted recently of you and the you and the family, and your oldest daughter w- was in a like obviously a track uniform or a cross country uniform. How old is she? Like she has she gotten the running bug? Yeah, a little bit. So Ruby is 13. She'll be 14 in April, um, so in eighth grade, and she definitely has the running bug. Um, then we have a 10 year old boy who's almost 11. That's Everett, and then an eight year old boy named Greer. So. Yeah, we are in the thick of it, but Ruby is figuring things out. So Ruby was the one in HGRA track over here in St. Paul um, that would run the 200 meters, and she would be last and waving to the crowd and get done and be like, Mom, <laughs> nobody was behind me. Like, that was what she thought we sh- she was supposed to do. And we're like, oh, it was fun to watch you, but everyone you know, wants to be behind you and we want, or we want everyone behind you type thing. So she did not really understand the sport until recently. And now she's getting the bug. Like Caitlin Tui, um, Parker Valby, the top two women that were in the NCAAs for cross, one went pro, one still in it. Those are her, you know, role models now. And so it's really fun. Those are two good ones to have. Yeah. It's funny I'd when say. kids don't understand the rules of rankings. <laughs> we just had uh, some of our state testing came home. And so my wife's reading off like, Ayla, you are in the 97th percentile nationwide. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, Brayden, 84. And she gets to me and she goes, well, with your reading, you're an 11. She goes, 11. I'm only six <laughs> years old and I'm an 11. <laughs> We're like, yeah, that's our 11 right there. <laughs> but don't you believe like any coach that told you guys like, that you could do anything or if you had a phone call from a coach or someone important in your life that would say, hey, champ, like I just soaked it up. So as a parent, 
I can be hard on my kids for sure because I'm driven and I want them to be driven, but I also understand the power of words. And yes, even if she were last in the 200 meters, but she was having a blast, like bravo to you, girl. Like now that she gets older, we can have those conversations about the ultimate goal of this sport that we're in is to crack the tape. But at the same time, having fun along the way is probably way more important than cracking the tape. Yeah, you have your whole life to give yourself mental hang-ups over how you rank with people. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want you as my mom in the running space. Those are some big shoes to fill. My father was, this is true, he was uh, a state champion in high school in cross country, and I think he was second, somewhere between second and fourth in the two-mile track. Yeah, the scrapbook, and it was like the holy grail to me. I, his mom put newspaper clippings together for him, and it was like, it was. I idolized it so much, I really did. And I was so terrified of going out for the team because I would never be as good as dad. And he was very supportive, and I didn't go out in sixth grade when it was first offered, seventh grade when it was first offered, eighth grade. I made didn't make my freshman. Or I made the freshman soccer team in high school. And ultimately wasn't happy and finally went to running, but reticently. And it honestly, I think it was because I was like afraid I wasn't going to like fill those shoes. Like, and he wasn't an Olympian. He was a division three high school state champion. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think she's thinking there? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's hard, you know, and we say run like Rue, like just be you run like Rue. Um, You know, she'll ask me some of my things and I can't lie to her. You know, I can't say I won four cross-country championships when I won five. Like, you can't do that. She can go and read everything on the internet now, right? She can't say, Mom, what did you run in eighth grade? You know, I'm running. What is she? She hasn't broken 12 for the two-mile yet. She has her eighth grade season. Maybe she'll do it. But I ran 1041. And, you know, so, like, she knows that I was fast. She knows that I won a lot. But at the same time, she sees me now. And, you know, we talk a lot about the ups and downs at this sport brought me as a person, but also like, I think I'm pretty dang tough. And I think that I've learned a lot from my sport. So we sort of talk that way more so than trying to compare our times or our um, sports or whatever. There's a lot of, this is what happened when I ran. I mean, I can't help but do Mm -hmm. that. That's just natural, right? Mm -hmm. But we do try to keep it light and remind them that they get to do a lot of cool things because in this sport, in particular, because I got to do a lot of cool things or I did make the Olympic team. So we get to go to the Timberwolves and be announced on the big screen because that they're celebrating Olympians. Like that is fun. It is not pressure on Ruby to be the next Olympic athlete that gets announced at the Timberwolves game, that kind of thing. Like she knows that. She just thinks it's fun that mom worked hard. She wants to work hard like me and maybe someday she'll get to do some cool things too. My conversation with my dad would be like, well, well, I ran three miles every day in sorrel boots in the winter, and that's what you should do. I'd be like, I don't know if that's the I best do training regimen. <laughs> no, I do that. Bracken comes. Like, I am that actually? old lady now. Yes. Like, so I think it was the blizzard of 93 here in Minnesota. Like, everyone remembers it. <laughs> Halloween that blizzard. Over Halloween. Right? Oh, God, I remember that trick or treating yes, was a real disaster that Everyone year. remembers it. Yeah. Well, it happened. Right before state cross, we had to postpone state cross for a week, which never, I don't even think has ever happened. 
It happened then and has not happened since. So I tell her all the time, well, I grew up in Dawson, Minnesota, you know, town of 1600. We didn't have an indoor track. My family got a treadmill after that. Um, but I ran in 33 inches of snow on the golf course. <laughs> And I did. It was not a joke. So I'm not, I don't know if your dad is telling you fibs. I bet he ran in Sorrel boots. I did not run in Sorrels. I ran in spikes probably. But um, yeah, I'm there. I am at that stage in life where I bring up those stories. Well, if you're at the stage where you attach a year to a story, that's it. Most people would say that bad blizzard we had. But if you say the blizzard of 93, yeah. that instantly ages you. Or... You leave the year out just so you don't want people to know how old you are. I am doing that now. Like, just call me an Olympian. You don't have to say 2004. Just, mm -hmm. I'm an Olympian. It could have been last time. It could have been 20 years ago. But we don't need to tell everyone that. <laughs> Bracken, you deal a little bit with that. I mean, your whole family's athletes, actually. You're the runner pioneer. Yeah, I'm the worst one. Quantify that for me. <laughs> and then we'll get to Carrie again for real. Like, my dad is pro- football player. My mom was a multi-time state champ. My sister was on Team USA. And my younger sister is right now playing pro basketball in Australia after she was drafted by into the WNBA. So I sit here and like, I run and uh, my PRs aren't as fast as my uncle's. And that's, that's about what I can claim here. It's funny. We, we I grew up with my uncle's times. I had an uncle who ran 1620 in 5K in the 5K cross country as a freshman and 420 in the mile. Mm -hmm. And I graduated high school without hitting those times. So it was, I knew my hierarchy just in my own bloodline. You know, yeah. it's, it wasn't my mom, luckily, being an Olympian. Even, But maybe that's better because at least we would have got courtside. No, not courtside. <laughs> and not all free. <laughs> Probably in like... Probably had a three, four year sweet spot there right after the Olympics courtside, but now it's mm. so far removed. No, <laughs> listen, no, no, no. I mean, everyone loves to claim the track and field athletes one day or one year every four years, right? But then you kind of mm. just get uh, sprinkled back into normal. But it, I have had so much fun. I'm not, I'm just being silly. It has been a really fun ride. And, you know, I think almost as us, as runners, like we don't need much. Rack and you have all those shoes behind you. Like that's pretty much all we need to like really find yeah. happiness is just a good pair of shoes. And I don't need courtside tickets. I don't need, um, you know, fancy cars or things like that. I just need a good pair of shoes. And I really am happy, like plain and simple. I was talking with someone uh, the other day who's trying to make it professionally, quote unquote, in the running realm. And they were lamenting the fact that they live in the wrong country. And I was kind of on board with that. So I, I'm going to pose you the question. Where were you most recognized or famous? Like you walk through Chicago, Illinois, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and no one cares about an Olympic runner other than the people who know that runner. Hmm. But where did you go where running mattered to the general population the most? I mean, Europe, they know all of us. So anytime we're in, you know, we'd spend nine weeks in Europe racing in the summer and they'd be lined up at every meet or every hotel where all the pros would get on the buses or whatever we were getting on to get tra transported to the track. They were there with autographed books and things like that. Um, so I would say Europe, you know, especially like England is big on running. Um, 
Asia is big on running too. Uh, but I would have to say in the U.S., distance runners are pretty well known. You know, when you go to the New York City Marathon, and maybe it's that weekend when we're walking around mm-hmm. New York and everyone's a runner, like you're pretty, you're pretty famous. If you go into New York on a random day, maybe not so much. But if you go into Central Park and go for a run, every time I'm there, people will be like, oh, hey, Carrie. Like, you know, it's a small but big community, uh, tight community. So I would have to say that, yes, people know us in Europe, but in America, we as professional runners are treated pretty well. I mean, our contracts are probably bigger than most countries. Um, you know, I think that the the visibility here is is pretty dang good. So I'm pretty proud to be an American. And I, I think that when I am around those big races, you can see that people know who you are. They pay attention. Oh, good. I wasn't setting you up to denounce your citizenship. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I get what you're talking about, though. I mean, it is it is interesting. And again, like I said, that that four-year cycle, this is the yep. year, right? Like, this is an Olympic year, so lots of people are mm-hmm. looking for us, or they want us to come speak at their companies, or they want to, you know, kind of just get a little taste of what it's like to, to be at the pinnacle of sport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truth be told, too, it's like, now versus then, whatever, whenever then is, it's like it is shoved down our throats. The, mm-hmm. the Instagram algorithm has me locked in on all the top distance runners, whether I'm following them or not. And you pull up your YouTube and they're so available. Like you see faces all the time, right? Like I think it's the height yeah. of recognizability, right? I would imagine any sport, to be honest, anything you follow and know, you probably mm-hmm. get shoved their content. At least I do. Yeah. I love it right now. This is how this kind of, I have two main agendas with you today, by the way. You don't know what they are, but I have two main agendas. I don't know, Bracken, if you have an agenda. I don't either. You don't? Okay. No, and I but don't know your agenda. My agendas. Agendai. Agendais. That's definitely the plural. Um, you were the second guest on our podcast when we started. You were the podcast veteran. You had had C. Tolly run Ooh. for, I don't know how long up to that. I mean, you've been going C. Tolly run for, fifth, I mean, forever. How long has it been? 15 years yeah. more? Yeah, well, to, about since 2011, we started the YouTube channel. Then we went away from YouTube. Not sure why. Um, mm. And then we went to just podcasting in 2016. Okay. Um, but, I mean, you've had that content. You were kind of ahead of the time, actually. I didn't realize that at the time. Now I do. Our first time we we did a YouTube uh, video, you came to my apartment and we did a workout in my gym and we did like a sit-down conversation. It was actually pretty nice. So fun. Yes? Yeah. It was right after Everett, I think. It was like right after I had a baby. Yeah, it was 2010 or 11, I think. Something like that. It was a long time ago. Oh, well, then it was after Ruby, actually. It was my first baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I still think, I, I looked before this, and I think I brought this up the first time we chatted, but... Like you look up strength training for runners and some silly bit we did has like over a million views and it's still one of like the top. I I was like, God, if I could go back and do that again, I would literally change almost everything about it now that I'm more, you know, in the know, but it's still out there. Um, yeah, but so anyways, and then I'll I'll quick pause on that, Kirk. (laughs) I want to add to that as, uh, as we, this past week, we Kirk and I got away in the woods into Baraboo, Wisconsin a few weeks ago, and we just had a business retreat. We called oh, it fun. that, but it was just yeah. a love fest of running really and was. talking. And- One bedroom Airbnb, Carrie. Let your imagination run wild. Oh, I love it. He surprised me by, oh, I thought there were two. Oh, no. He wanted to snuggle. Yeah. One twin bed. 
since then, we've been revamping our website because it was horrible, and then mm. links started breaking, and it was bad. So we we put our new one up two days ago. But throughout this, I've been going through the all the old episodes, and it's just like I assume it's what it's like, Kirk. For someone who has an extensive dating history and you look back through, that's how I felt about our episodes where I look back to the beginning and think like, oh, we had no idea what we were doing. Mm -hmm. We wasted those people. We had carry on and it was a waste. We had a world champ on and it was a, we had, we were just flailing around in the dark. It wasn't a waste, but we wasted their ability. We didn't know, we didn't know how to unleash them. But we probably didn't know what we were doing really either. I mean, that's the thing. We were just chatting with you guys. So I still feel like that. I mean, we're all learning because it all changes so much. But you guys have crushed it, too. I mean, it's been fun to watch you grow and your audience. And so you're doing something, right? We're showing up. I I hope so. But, man, going back through the archives, Kirk, I have the same thing. I cringe at certain things we put out there. Like, oh, dude, yeah. (laughs) Uh Uh Oh, to be young again. Yeah, and I think you were like training for I don't remember what marathon you had coming up, but I called it the wrong marathon and then I had I asked if you could just pick up a 100 pound 100 pound dumbbell and carry it around the gym and the comments were like, "Yeah, she's going to break her back doing that. Good advice, you idiot." Da, da, da. Like people find something to read and we were just having fun. And then I think you told me to put a yeah. weight under my shirt and walk around with like a pregnant baby. Anyways, point being Well, because I br- say, basically still had like 20 pounds on me. <laughs> All that to say, back to YouTube, what I'm, I guess this is my long, long approach, is I keep, now I'm either on the treadmill chase invert on my incline trainer, because I got mountain races potentially coming up, and so it's the only way to get it, but it's a lot of YouTube time, and you, first of all, thought that maybe I, I was uh, mistaking you for Kara Goucher, I could never, okay, never, I very much know the difference between your two voices, and you're still everywhere, like you watch one of the road majors, or you watch something uh cross-country nationals high school ncaa sometimes like you're everywhere in the commentating space and bracken and i like at one point i was like it'd be really fun to get into that and bracken's like oh my god to keep up on the knowledge and the know and everybody and the stuff involved would be a pretty large task and so my first agenda is talking about commentating with you and the schedule you keep and all of that, because it's fascinating and you're great at it. So first of all, is it like a part-time job being in the loop in the running space? I would have to say full-time. But mm. the funny thing is, is if you came at me and said, tell me the top three boys in the you know high school mile or tell me the top three people in the NCAAs right now, I can't blurt that out. But the way I can put it down in notes and get ready for an event, you know, r- that week, that's what I think is um, something that I've learned to do. There's too many names. There's too many stats for me to kind of keep it all in my head. And so it's been a learning process of how do I make my notes and how do I research almost week or two before. So I am getting ready to uh, sign my contract to go to Paris. It hurts my heart really bad because I'm going to be gone for close to three weeks. Um, so I'll be away from the family. I said no to Tokyo because awesome. that was – well, thank you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That's amazing. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you said no to Tokyo? I said no to Tokyo, but it was five weeks, and I had a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I respect that. But how many people would say no to the Tokyo Olympics? Yep. And then 
for them to come back. So I'm going to be with the Olympic Broadcast Service, which is basically the world feed. So we listen to the Olympic Broadcast Service service uh, a lot of times during Tokyo because they would take that feed and put it on NBC or Peacock or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, this year round, Paris is a little closer in time, so you might not hear me as much here in the States, but they use us anywhere someone wants an English-speaking broadcast. So I'll be back with John Anderson from ESPN, the white belt guy. A lot of people don't know John, but he's the original white belt guy and was on Sports Center for years. Um, so I'll be working with him over there. And so, yeah, that's the thing. Like, Kirk, you're asking me about all these different things I do. It's it's um, it's sort of a game. You know, I mean, I just have to I have to learn the right strategy, the right names, the right times, all their stories. And then I sort of put it in the back burner and then it comes up. Again, obviously, I remember the stuff I've studied, but it's just there's too many things. So it's it's hard. It's really fun, but it can jumble your brain if you let it for sure. Well, I wonder. So that makes sense to me, sort of cramming, because how else could you? There's so many people mm-hmm. and so many things to know. So you 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 cram in the scope in which you're about to commentate, which yep. I understand. Where do you? What's your best resources then? Bracken and I are always sort of guiding people, like, oh, we saw this, go watch that, or go here. Are you just like peeping results? Are you having to spend hours on YouTube watching whatever clips you can scrounge? Like, what's your process actually? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I like to do is I'll get the you know the start lists, and then I go through all of those. I have all kinds of websites that I pay that are, um, you know, like a database. So. I don't even know how to say this one. And we laugh every time all of us researchers and commentators try to say say it. But it's like teleostopaja. It's a paid database where you go in and put, you know, Kirk DeWitt. And you can see everything that you've ever done. And or you can go to World Athletics and you can see it there. That's free. World Athletics is free. But I kind of like having a number of different ones to double check. I mean, it is a lot. And there are weeks where I have back to back to back and it might be high school, the Chicago Marathon and the NCAAs. And I will have somebody help me kind of build a template, get their PRs down. And then I go back into those websites or Instagram or, you know. You just dig and you can dig and dig and dig. So it it is um it's interesting. Like sometimes I'm like, what am I doing to my brain? Because I know so many numbers. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my gosh, they're a three-time world champion, they're you know, world medalists, like it's like constant data coming out of my brain all the time. But I love it. Like I'm not complaining here, peeps. I love it. It's super fun. And really, I'm talking about a sport that drives me in life. Like, even though I'm, you know, well out of my competitive years and I am still like just trying to get the most out of myself. Like I love this sport so much. I wouldn't be away from my family as much as I am if I didn't. So it's been a real blessing to be able to stay in the sport in a different way. You're really living the dream in that regard. And that you get to remain every bit as, and I hate the word relevant, but every bit is relevant. Every bit is dialed in and plugged into the sport, still get to the venues and have the lack of the huge time suck required by full-time training, but still get to train if you want to. That's a pretty nice setup. Yeah. Although I was just thinking of Kirk, I'm like, he needs to just send me some workouts because I'm not doing any weight training. All I do is get out for a 20 to 40 minute run and I'm lacking 
all strength training right now. And I've been talking about it for years and I just am not doing it. And the older I get, the more I can feel my muscles are just falling off of me. And I know as women in particular, we're supposed to be, you know, really focusing on lifting heavy as we get older. And I can feel that. Like I can feel my pace is not as easy. I still like to hammer seven minute pace, but it's not as easy because I'm losing my strength. And so, yes, I do get to go to these great venues. I get to stand next to these specimens, you know, and as I'm watching my body kind of go like to the wayside, they're just ripped and tight and ready to roll. Well, we really brought you on here to talk about (laughs) how much you've let yourself slide. This is an intervention. Well, I I still try really hard, (laughs) but I am just saying I need to do some work on that front. But yes, I do get to still go for a run when I want to. And I still get to, you know, enjoy a lot of the time at home that I've always wanted. Like being a professional athlete from your home, it's tough to think about going into the workforce and being in an office all day long. So I've I've loved that. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm happy to curate some strength workouts for you. It's also, and I've talked about this Speaking of strength, though, because you're, uh, do, are we allowed to ask people how old they are, Bracken, or do we not do that on this show? Yes. Oh, we are allowed. Okay. Yeah. Well, if, ask her her weight first. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I am 47. 47. Am I? Yes. 47. 47. Okay. And I am by no means the fastest human out there, right? I, I get schooled pretty much every start line I show up to. You are very fast. I just called your race in August and I was like, my gosh, he's running 14 something still. It's amazing. Well, not quite. That heat was brutal. But uh, I think the, a, a large part of being able to keep a percentage of my capability is honestly like strength and muscle like that becomes in muscle mass like that becomes more and more important. You see more and more athletes fall by the wayside as they get older as far as they're just like they can't access their ceiling anymore. It's just gone. And I think a lot of it is like yeah. power production, which relates to efficiency, which relates to taking less damage over duration. And that's one thing I've just been I think I fell into by falling in love with strength training. And then I think it. I maintain at least. And I think it's a big part of like getting older and running fast still is like that becomes on the balance scale. It becomes closer and closer to the importance of just getting miles in. And people don't really I don't know. I don't think that's very discussed very often. I think it is huge. Like I am a big 20 minute girl. Like I love to go for 20 minute runs. And a lot of people ask me how I could keep my speed up. And I swear by that because I would run hard two, three times a week. I wasn't doing specific interval work, but I would do hard runs for 20 minutes. And then I would still get some strength in. And now that part has gone away. And so I can I can feel the the pace slowing. But just in all like disclosure, like let's just go there, right? Like this is a topic that women do not discuss enough. I am full on menopausal. So mm-hmm. I am like have gone over that. I'm not able to have babies anymore, which is kind of like that I don't want any more babies, but it's like a it's a hard thing to deal with at times because it's like we're we're really over that crest. Like I am now on the later part of my life. And um so I think that's the big thing, Kirk. And I think this is good for you as a trainer to really think about too is when you're training older women and men. They don't have a they don't have a word for men when you guys go through a change. I don't know what your change is. I'm sure there is one, but we haven't really studied it. We have menopause, men it's just a slow decline from about but 27 on, it's just a slow it's, decline. From yeah. On. That's what I think. Yes. But women have an actual name 
and it starts with mm. men and it's real annoying. <laughs> well, I'm going to start telling people I have woman pattern baldness. Uh, okay. Just to even the just scales something. a little bit. Like, let's figure nice. it out. Let's figure it out. But no, I'm just teasing. But anyway, I am there. And that, I think, is not researched, not talked enough about. And anyone, Stacey Sims, for instance, she's got, um, you know, a number of books out talking about lifting heavy as we get older. And so, yeah, I think there's a huge thing to that. I think a big thing for me is just figuring out how to plan my day so I can get a good lift in. So much easier just to go for a run, right? I don't know how to lift like you do, Kirk. I've done it my whole life, but I had a coach. So it's not as easy for me to go and write a weight plan or a strength plan like it is to do a running plan. I don't know where we went there, but I'm just saying I'm menopausal. I'm old. I'm losing my muscle mass, (laughs) but I can do it. I can get back in there. It was about it was about aging and strength training and being important to keep a high percentage of your run mm. capacity. But now you brought up menopause, and now I want to talk about that. Yeah, I think more men should. Well, I have a number of women I work with in menopause right now, and so menopause comes yes. up honestly on the on the daily, if not weekly. I'm talking about menopause. Really, um, really, yes. And so it can be associated with weight gain, or just like sometimes, like you just don't feel well some days, or frozen shoulder and all these wacky things that can sort of happen along along the way um <clears throat> what can you could you feel it and if you could feel as you're going through it what did that feel like mm-hmm. what would you say pre-menopause to in the middle of it i'm guessing you are what, what how would you describe it um i think it's important to talk about yeah i think that's a great question and it was funny when I, it was sort of during the pandemic when it started. So perimetopause is what they call it when you're like in the early stages of it. I could tell my cycle was not quite as regular and it was heavier and things like that. We don't have to get too far into it. But um, one of the things that I noticed was whenever I was out on a run close to when my cycle was supposed to happen, uh, maybe like four or five days before, if I'd stepped up on a curb or I like looked for a car like over my shoulder, I would get like a twinge in my back. And it happened quite regularly. And I don't know if it was the fatigue of a long run, if it was the way that I was moving my body, what it was, but I started to notice this pattern. And I think that there was some sort of hormonal shift that started to kind of interact with my muscles at some point or whatever it was. So that was one big, um, like, I guess, red flag because I was like, there's nothing wrong with me because it would eventually kind of ease off again. But it was always right before. Mm -hmm. So then I kind of put that together, the cycle change. um, And then I just wasn't feeling well. I would remember like leaning over and tying my shoes and then I would get real dizzy, which I am not, I don't get dizzy. Like I'm pretty easy going like i don't i'm not very high maintenance like i just don't have stuff not like those dizzy people i'm not <laughs> i mean i'm dizzy i'm ditzy but i'm, I'm not, not high maintenance i don't get dizzy yeah i mean yeah i'm not a... trying to say all people that get dizzy are high maintenance that's a flex no, i'm just saying like i don't have that i don't faint <laughs> i'm you know like i don't have that stuff it's just that if I've ever heard someone defend themselves for being high maintenance, I'd never heard them lead with a lack of dizziness. <laughs> See, this is why you guys have me on your show, because you know that you have no idea what I'm going to say, and I'm on live tele- television all the time. Anyways, <laughs> I had weird things like that. I'm not someone that gets dizzy, and I was getting dizzy. Uh, so I ended up going to the doctor. Didn't take a hormone test. Like, Didn't really ask me those questions. So I kind of thought I was like, 
sick. I thought something was wrong with me because I, you know, there was all these things. I was dizzy and I wanted to get dizzy. Um, And then eventually I ended up losing my cycle and I'm like, oh, this is what's happening along with maybe a little bit of anxiety, like um, some, you know, forgetfulness. And also the hot flashes were nuts, like they're crazy. So I am now two full years post my last period and um, hot flashes are going away. So yeah, I'm full on, Kirk, like not in the middle, done. I have follow-up questions. Uh, energy Good. levels. Bring them. Um, energy levels and metabolism. Mm. Talk to me about those two things. Mm. What do you have you noticed? Whether it's like brain function energy or cellular performance energy, and yeah. then metabolic potential changes. Um, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is just gather information. Yeah. Like I have a couple women who are a little stuck. Let's call it um, where they're at, mm-hmm. either middle of menopause, post menopause, and it's like that. <clears throat> it's like that. Do I just point the finger at that and be like, it's menopause? Like throw my hands in the air and be like, well, I can't help. It's menopause. Or does it not? deserve that much credit for 30 pounds of weight gain or does it does it not deserve that much credit for slowing way down or does it i'm asking complicated questions here and i know you're not a menopause no no no. i I think your opinions yeah i think in my in my case if i can just say like my experience i definitely feel different i don't like how i feel at times but there's also times where i'm like i could be you know an awesome runner and i could be I could look the way I want to look if I tried harder. I'm not sure if that's the case, like if that actually would. So since I've hit menopause, I can tell that I do have less muscle mass, um, but I'm not in the weight room. So I have these like butts, right? Like I could do this, but, or I feel this way, but my my weight has not really changed. But again, I'm losing muscle. So am I gaining fat? Yes, probably, but I'm not gaining muscle or um I'm losing muscle. Am I changing my clothes? My clothes are still fitting. I can so I'm not getting a whole new wardrobe. So that's for me. Some women I think have to. My sleep is terrible. I never was hmm. one to need um any type of like sleep aid, whether it was tart cherry juice, um what is it? What is it? The melatonin. You know, I never needed any of that stuff, but I tr- have tried all of it now. I actually here and there have even had to take a Tylenol PM if I have a really big event where I need sleep like every now and then. I've had one one bottle my entire life. I've probably taken five. Um, but yeah, that's the big thing for me. It's the lack of sleep. So then there's lack of energy because I'm up. Um, memory loss or um, jumbleness is for real. But again, I have three children. I work like 15 jobs and I'm flying all over the place. I'm not sleeping as well. So I don't know. I don't know what's all connected. But I don't think that you, for sure, as a trainer and a confidant and friend, husband, you know, all of that, never dismiss the feelings that people have, whether they're male or female or however they, however they, you know, are. I think that we have to listen to people and figure that out. And I wish that people were more open. I'm glad to hear that people are telling you how they feel because, yeah. I mean, if I would have said three years ago, something's going on. I am dizzy. I'm falling asleep at a stoplight. Mm. Like that's that's something. And so we need to dig into that. So a while back, I was part of a group of people who were trying to come up with a, a female specific supplement for athletes. Mm. And it 
for the first time in my life, really got me looking into cycles. Okay. I'm not claiming to be any sort of <laughs> expert okay. here, but we were working on a project for this specific. Yeah. And what it got me down the rabbit hole for the first time was the true ramifications of the different cycles of mm. your period. Hmm. And so what you've gone through now and what you've experienced now, and because you came up in a time of sport where it just wasn't a conversation, yeah. would you do things different now going back? Or do you do you recommend women to have either cycle-based training or cycle-aware training mm. in order to maximize the times where you're load it up in the times and to minimize the times when you're severely depleted? So great question. I probably did not look at things as scientific as I should have when I was younger and even into my pro career. Um, I think a lot of that, we didn't talk about this. We talked about if you lost your period, that was bad. Right. You know, if you had your period during big races, you just dealt with it, right? We didn't, or if you, you didn't work around it really, unless you were, you couldn't. Um, I thought having my period was lucky. <laughs> like mm. not only lucky that I kept my body health enough, healthy enough to have one, but I'm going to tell you that when I would run state in high school, when I would run NCAAs, inevitably every single time I would get my period. Really? And I thought, I was, that was lucky for me. So I had this shift in mindset. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a shift in like a mindset of thinking, oh, scientifically, I am at a better place to have this. I thought just all about superstition. <laughs> and yes, it came at the right time. Was I going to have cramps? Heck yeah. Was I going to have a headache? Probably. But it didn't matter because I won state one time having my period. So if I got it every single time, that meant I was going to win state. Classic <laughs> performance enhancing menzies. I mean, come, yes, exactly. You know, I'm a little weird that way, but I guess, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear more about the science behind it and, you know, how people perform off of it and, or if they, they do better. I think again, it's all individualized. I mean, some people just have such symptoms that it's, it's really not fun at all. And I was lucky enough to not, I didn't have to go. Some people go on the pill for that, or they have other kind of hormonal treatments. I, I didn't have that. So how is it going to change what you do with your daughter? Cause I'm sure you want to have a not hands off, but not like overbearing approach with her running in general, mm. knowing how tenuous the relationship with running can be anyway. But how are, what do you think you're going to do to just make her more cognizant of it in her career? Or is it just like, we're going to see what happens and go from there. So again, I kind of feel like I'm old school. And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. And hopefully people don't get mad at me for saying this. But I kind of am like, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. Mm. You know, and I've been that way. I have fought my way into the booth as a, a female voice. I've been, you know, like Kirk said, I was maybe a little bit ahead of my time with like the YouTube stuff or just, you know, I feel like even you look at my social media, I don't have much of a following. Like it's all just, I'm just a little bit before it seems like. And that seems even how I parent, you know, Ruby will say, you know, mom, I'm not feeling well or whatever. And I kind of like, let's go. Like if you, if you don't have a fever, we're going for it. So I am very loving. I love my children so much. And I had great parents and great coaches that were very loving as well. But they also, hmm. 
they were hardcore and maybe a little old school, like rub a little dirt in it and let's just get going again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to be like that. And I sort of hope I am. I don't want them to back down. I don't want her to be afraid of being in a booth with five men. I don't want her to be afraid of towing the line when you're a little bit maybe not fit enough to be the best you are. I want you to go out and grind it out and show people what you're made of. How do you parent, Bracken? Is that how you parent? Uh, My curiosity is, is it a softer world that way when you're at her games or her meets? Is it it a softer world or is it not? I don't know. I don't have that perspective because I don't have kids. I don't know. I think this is very interesting. When I go to races or basketball games or hockey games, whatever, I love watching the crowd because the moms, they know what's going on. They have played the sport now. They are telling the refs what's up. They're talking to the coaches. They're telling their kids. You know, when I was growing up, my mom was huge into sports, but never got to play. Never once got Mm. to play. And But she was the one taking all the stats. She would tell my dad he was a college football player. She was going to beauty school. She was the one like at every game telling him what was up. And I love that that's how my mom, she was one of the few women that really got into it when I was competing. And now all the moms are into it and maybe even a little too into it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel bracken with you and your wife, but. I feel like the parents, they both know what's going on behind the scenes now. It's not just the guys. Everyone's an expert now, mm-hmm. whether they've earned it or not. But yeah. you can find any information really, really quickly. But now, yeah, it's a generation of people who all grew up playing, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But Kirk, to answer your question, my oldest daughter is nine. so Not quite there yet. We, we haven't crossed that bridge yet. Although it starts mm-hmm. early. Yeah. And we're all late bloomers in the Crocker family, so we'll see if the Kolb side wins out yeah. versus the Crockers. I mean, if she's all mine, she's not going to have to worry about this until she's 25. <laughs> but was your mom into it because she was such a good athlete? Was she into it? Like, could you hear her in the crowd? My parents were the most hands-off parents you'll ever meet. Oh. And and they were so turned off by the crowd that yeah. every 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 performance, every game I've ever had, they are somewhere away so baseball they'd be out in the outfield sitting by the foul pole basketball they'd be up on the opposite side in the corner my mom would walk during the games to avoid getting wrapped up in it so they they went so far to the extreme to never be that parent that they couldn't even stand near the other parents yeah yep so i never got that how how are you right now because i don't think i am the one to i don't talk to a ref like, I think that's yeah. off limits. I mean, maybe I'll silently kind of sigh <laughs> if I see a bad call or something, but I don't yell that out. Um, I will yell for Rue, uh, my Ruby or Everett or Greer, but I don't think I'm real loud. Yeah. I'm a silent supporter. Okay. Lisa's a very vocal supporter of all the athletes. Yes. And I am, but I'm, I'm this way at, at public sporting events. I'm this way at concerts. I, I like to just like casually take in and watch what's going on I, i'm not a like i'm not singing along at concerts i'm not oh. i'm not going crazy at packers games like i i just i like watching yeah so i i found i'm the same way with my kids i just sweat more yeah i totally sweat and i and i it's outrageous should say i am 
not loud just for my kids. I'm loud for the entire team. Everyone yeah. will hear me on a cross-country course. I run everywhere for every kid. So I am loud. And I think that's important. Are you loud on the cross-country course? I haven't been on a cross-country well, course since yet. I stopped coaching cross-country. Okay. And you haven't run around after your daughter yet if she runs? No, but what I like to think is that my fitness will get me to a point where I can get up close to every section of the race and just talk into their ear. Oh, yeah. That you will. Yeah. That's my only goal in fitness at this point. That's actually what you did to me a couple of times. Because you've been on the Gator at one race I've been at and then at the Spartan Race World Champs. And you weren't a yeller, but you were close enough to me to authoritatively talk to me, where Mm -hmm. probably everybody else couldn't hear it. Yeah, I'm going to give actionable intel. You gave me actionable advice. And stay out of the way from there. I'm going to give you time updates. Yep. That's fine. It was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a a big rah-rah coach. I'm not a huge motivator. I'm an informer. You're a motivator, but in a different way. I mean, I think every coach is a motivator. To some extent. But yeah, yeah, my methods are never loud. Like even your silence can be motivating, right? I I had one coach, actually my professional coach, Dennis, he didn't say a lot. Like even if I would call and say, I didn't have a very good workout today and give him the, t- and if I gave him the times, he might just say, oh, and if he said, <laughs> oh, and then I knew, like, yeah, it's that one word that was like, we'll see you back in 48 hours type thing, you know? Um, yep. So yeah, every, every coach is a motivator. Reminds me of Mike Smith a little bit watching his content. He uh, says he doesn't want to rile up the troops by being too enthusiastic until or unless it's the right time or needed. I have a lot of respect after seeing some of his behind the scenes stuff, but very much that same way. He'll give it to you when it's when it's needed or deserved, but silence is sometimes sort through it on your own. And then when we need it, when we need to get there, we'll get there, but don't abuse it. Then it becomes kind of less valuable, right? The rah-rah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, well, I, I wanted to continue a line of questioning about broadcasting, but I think I'm going to move on because I'll ask you at the end okay. what you have coming up and all that. We can talk about that. I'm just very fascinated by that because um, I think you and Kara are absolutely killing it. You're the two best commentators gender aside i think that we've seen like knowledgeable entertaining very well spoken in the moment know your crap uh, just you're just pleasant to listen to and so like i i can see why you got hired on for the olympics i can see why you're in this space but we're gonna leave that for the end what i want to transition to is something morbid can we transition to something morbid oh hmm. okay just kidding that was a strong Bring word it. but your best is behind you your best is behind you, okay? Oh. <laughs> yes. Like running specific or in general for her? <sighs> Thank you. Performance wise. Well, <laughs> well, what I'm asking is there's always there's going to be it. So I've been I'm sure people on the podcast have said this before like I turned 40, I'm chasing some master stuff, but at some day you're going to like look back and be like, "Oh shit. Like that was that was when I started turning the other direction, right? Or that's like coping uh-huh. with transitioning from the best we've ever done to like putting my shoes on and going out for 20 minutes. Walk mm-hmm. me through that, like as the pinnacle, as an Olympic athlete, as a, what were you, how many time national champion in college? And I know we're talking about a long time ago, but you progressed for years through that career and like you're on the other side of your performance days, objectively. Yeah. So what... How do we sort through that? Is it is it the finding the other things in life that fill your cup, which I, you clearly have many? Is it like 
because that's your identifier, right? For years, like, who are you, Carrie Tullison? Like, you're still that identifier. You go and you're Olympian Carrie Tullison. But Olympian Carrie Tullison would, would lap you multiple times in a 5K right now. So what do you do with that? How do you manage that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think for me, it was nice because I went through most of my career knowing I wanted to have this big family. And well, big for me, three kids. That might not be big for everyone. Um, and then when we started having children, I tried to come back, but it just it really wasn't in my heart. Uh, I didn't really want to put the time and effort in. I didn't want to travel. Although now I look back and I think, oh, I probably could have gone back and raced and spent less time away from the family than I do now as a broadcaster. But mm. um, it was hard. There were there were times where you know you think. I'll never be world-class at something again. I mean, that was pretty fun. <laughs> um, but then I'm like, heck no, I'm a world-class individual. I can do this and that and, you know, whatever. So you got to kind of remind yourself there's more to life than just running fast in circles on a track. Um, but I think that once I made that decision to step away from being an elite athlete, being a mom, and then focusing on being – like, again, I've said it, we've seen more women all the time in the booth now, which I love. But that was kind of the challenge for me was there were a, there were like three women that we could mention back in the day when I was racing that would sometimes be on a broadcast. But now there's women all over the place. And it's been really fun watching that. So I just put my energy into something else. But it does hurt. I mean, even I'm now I've been I have been a little bit banged up the last year. So I haven't been able to do the type of training that I'd like to do. And I keep thinking, just give it four more years so you can keep up with Ruby. <laughs> you know, like my mind is shifting to other things to where I can help other people. Um, and now, you know, running a marathon, which I didn't do as a pro, uh, though, you know, just shifting my mindset to other things. If I go to a, a 5k now, I thought it was fun to try to run close to 18 minutes. And now I probably won't be able to run close to 18, maybe closer to 19. So I just have different goals and different ideas. And I always joke about it, but I am getting slower by the second right now. Like every time I breathe, I'm getting slower. <laughs> and it is a weird feeling, but it's okay. It is okay. Do you um, chase metrics still? Like, okay, I know I can't run whatever you ran in the 5K. I and I know that wasn't your event. You were a 1500 girl mostly, but like you go run a five, like, is it still like some people claw to every second all the way down to the bitter end, meaning like in their fifties, their sixties, like they're fighting for it. And some kind of just like wave the white flag and they're like, you know what? Like I'm shifting to like a health mindset and I'm, or people chase the age group titles and all of that, which I certainly am going to be one of those. I already know it. I'm so far in, even if I get exponentially worse, but what are you? I'm just curious, like where your head is at with that. Yeah, no, I don't really do that anymore. I used to think it was fun to try to run close to 18 minutes or to win the rate, the, you know, the Fitgers 5K or whatever. Um, the William A. Irvin 5K is what they have the day before the grandma's marathon. And I would do that off of just my hard 20 minute runs. You know, I didn't train for it. I didn't pace, do any pace work for it. So no, I don't have that. I don't have that desire. But I also think that comes with the fact that I will never be as fast as I was. I will won't go to the track and do a workout and do thousands at, you know, 250 pace anymore. I don't do that anymore. I can't. So, I don't have that desire. Mm. Is that weird? No, it's good. 
well, seasons yeah. of life. It's the opposite that gets yeah. people in trouble. Yeah. Right? It's the people that constantly chase that high through whatever they can find because they never lose that desire to be yeah. recognized for excellence at the thing that you can't be excellent at anymore. I will tell you, though, I don't know for sure if it's the, if it's times and races, but like I still want to be healthy and fit and feel good in my own skin. And, you know, mm. that's where I'm at. And I think, too, that's one of the reasons I got into marathoning was when I was doing all the commentary for marathoning, I wanted to experience it myself. I wanted to still know, you know, what it felt like to to push hard. And then I also wanted to know what it was like to cross that 20-mile mark and, you know, have that, that I guess, like that hard walk home if you need to. Like I've had those moments where I've been, you know, walking the last three miles of a marathon. I needed to know that as a commentator. So I've done that. So now that's still where I'm at. Like as an athlete, someone that talks about it, I want to be able to still go on the mic and and remember the pain you go through when you're on the track mm -hmm. doing your fourth mile repeat or whatever it is. So here and there, you'll see me act like the athlete I once was, but I don't get stuck on numbers. I don't get stuck on placing. Um, I'm out there to have fun. I'm curious about, um, you know, back in the day, you're racing a lot, you're traveling a lot. Um, the anticipation nerves and then ultimate uh, feeling after a race. It is like the best, right? You build up, you're a ball of nerves, the anxiety all week leading up to the Olympics or or the NCAA finals. And it's like a really uncomfortable feeling for a lot of people. Yet it's almost impossible to replace that release out on the track. And then afterwards, it's like your whole world is opened up, right? It's a high that is like, I don't, I don't think I've experienced it anywhere else after a hard race where it's all you can think about all day. And then the afterward, you, did you experience that one? And then two, like, I don't, I would have a really hard time giving that up, like finding something to give a shit about so much that I lose sleep, that I'm anxious, that I get the pre-race nerves because of what, how that feels and the privilege of that. And then what happens afterwards, I haven't found that anywhere in life. The post-race feels. Yeah. You were living on that. That was your fuel back in the day, right? Like, do you miss any of that? Or was that stressful? I don't... Oh, it's so stressful. And actually, you know, I miss racing. I don't miss so much the lead up, like the workouts and the visualization and all that. Like that to me was so hard to nail. Like we were trying to nail it. Right. And then and then when you kind of think you nailed it, then it's like, oh, no, someone else is faster. Or There's another American record to chase or whatever. Um, but I do miss towing the line and knowing that I am going to go and push myself harder than I've ever have. Like, try to see how tough you can actually be. I miss that. I miss really um, performing at a level like that. I think that's why I love the world of broadcast or the world of emceeing or speaking, because I am still performing. I still am trying to be the best I can be. I have to think about that. Even being on this show, you know, like, it makes me nervous, you know, I, I'm trying to make sure that I'm I'm delivering in a, a way that I'm proud of. And, it, you know, you're performing in a way, right? But yet you're trying to be the best you can be and show the world that. And so I think that I've really, I love that about what I've done in my life. I'm not a, afraid to go on a stage or go on a track and perform in front of people or talk in front of people. 
Um, my college coach, Marcus O'Sullivan from Villanova, he was a four-time Olympian and world champion. And he re- he ran over 100 sub four-minute miles. There's only like three men that have ever done that. Oh, He's geez. one of them. And yeah, isn't that crazy to think? It really is. Um, and that was before the shoes. So, um, but he told me one time, he said, my last race, I guess it was at NCAAs, he said, you will never have this feeling again. Don't forget it. Like your last NCAA race, but also that nerves, what you're running for, don't forget it. And I didn't, you know, and um, yeah, I missed that part, Kirk, but I'm glad that I have it because I have used it in my profession now as a broadcaster. And so I do get a thrill. It's not the same, though. No, it's not the same. I think the number one feeling people have at a start line, and I'm speaking, I guess, just from scooping it up over the years of myself, I think is fear. I think if you had to, if you had to lump the most feelings into the biggest bucket, I think even the best in the world. And you just say like, I can't wait to get out there and hurt. Like, sounds like you had to rip your head off, rip people's heads off mentality. But I'll be honest, like if I have a race I care about, it's anxiety and it's fear. And there's a little bit of bravado, but the amount of bravado is so much less than the anxiety and fear. And I project as somebody who's confident and ready to rip heads off. And I have no shame in admitting that I tow a line and it's dread and fear often is (laughs) really, I'll be transparent there. Um, because it means something to me. Were you were you not that way? Did you were you? I'm gonna, I'm yes. gonna take you out, or was there still some of that going on? I I think yes. I wanted to beat everybody. I always tried to think of them as like you know just bodies and not faces. Like blur their faces out and and then just run because some of them were my best friends and I wanted to beat them really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always feared the race. I always did. And that was one of the big reasons why I visualized so much was because I tried to calm my nerves. I tried to calm being scared of how bad it was going to hurt, of screwing up in front of people, of getting lapped, of falling, all of those things. Like you think of all the negatives, right? And that's kind of the point mm-hmm. of visualization and, and going through the reps and workouts and things is to try to train your brain to be able to overcome um, but I was laughing because Don Harper Nelson, who is a Olympic gold medalist in the hurdles, she was a Olympic silver medalist in the hurdles. She was on a broadcast with me a couple weeks ago, and she was saying how she wanted to kill everyone in her race. And you could just see the like passion. And she's as nice as can be. She's awesome. But that's like what drive, you know, was like a driving factor for her was like, yeah, heck yeah, I want to kill everyone out there. So everyone has a different reason. But I think mine was more fear like you, Kirk. I think too, in a distance race, like, you know, the pain is like, it's not from the get go. It's going to jump on your back at some point, And then it's just going to be like, how much can you fight through it? Sprints, it hurts the entire time from the gun, basically, right? And then they sometimes they don't even have time to think about the pain. So I can see where she wanted to kill people a little bit more than I did. <laughs> Sorry, Don, if you're listening to this, you might need to come on and back yourself <laughs> oh, up. Oh, we here. got all the Olympians listen to this. It's We got a corral of hundreds of Olympians yes. that learn <laughs> from us every week. So she probably does. You should get Don Harper Nelson. She's amazing. I've always found it interesting that that process doesn't change. 
no matter how many times I race, no matter how many times someone's races, they sign up for something out of fear and excitement. And throughout their training block, they build up this bravado and you just can't wait to use everything you're building. And now on lap three of that mile, I'm just going to... And then as soon as you're close enough to touch the race, uh-huh. you're mm-hmm. nothing but terrified over what you're going to have to do yeah. with everything you've built. Can't wait for yep. it to be done. Yep. Yeah. Or or you can fight through those negative thoughts, but it's inevitable. They're going to be there. Yeah. Eventually, you see everyone take their final stride up to the line and realize, oh, they're so fast. Yeah. They're so fast, but they all are as nervous and scared as you are. I mean, yes. I think that's mm-hmm. what we have to remind ourselves. You know, if there's young kids listening, like... There was never a race that I lined up where I think that no one, that someone wasn't afraid to race it. You know, there, it's just, it's going to hurt. Our sport hurts. And, but it's what makes us tough. And then at the same time, it is so rewarding. You know, even if you don't have the best race of your life, you learn so much about yourself. And that's what I loved about distance running or being an athlete in general. We always talked about what went well, especially in my house when I got home from races or playing basketball or whatever. We talked about what went well, but then we always talked about what we could improve on. And I did that throughout my entire career. And I still sort of think about it now when I'm in my career, like, what did, where did I screw up? But try not to always think about the negative. Think about the good as well. I think a healthy fear is good. I think that those who sometimes don't have a healthy fear of what's presented in front of them on race day are the ones who go out too hot, the ones who don't respect the distance, Mm -hmm. potentially, right? Like overconfidence. It works for some, or at least they fake it and it projects that way. But I think think fear is, is correlated with energy management properly. Like, I think everybody's scared of probably (laughs) blowing up, crashing and burning and getting past the second half. Nobody's afraid of pounding home and passing people. I think, I think if you have a healthy fear for a race, for me, it helps me manage my effort appropriately more than anything. And maybe that's a self-preservation model, but I'm so scared that I'm not going to miscalculate. And usually it ends up working out, except in those Tracksmith 5Ks where they were, all those last miles were terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those Tracksmith 5Ks are challenging. But that's what fear is innately in us, right? We have fear of the dark so that we didn't wander away without thinking from the campfire. We're afraid of snakes inherently because you don't want to get bit by some of them. Yeah. That's hardwired into us. Overwhelming fear is not healthy, but a healthy dose of fear is like the greatest rev limiter you could ever have. Well, and I coach, uh, you know, a, a number of older women now that have never run a step in their life. And they are terrified of the run. They're terrified when I call them athletes. They're like, wait, nobody has ever Mm. called me an athlete. I'm not an athlete. I'm like, yes, you are. You are an athlete getting out here. And whether you're walking, walk running or running, like we are in this together and you are 100% an athlete. So yeah. And you know, a lot of times when I told the line, that fear even, it kind of subsided when I was having a good race, because then that confidence that we all hope we gain out of being athletes would overtake the fear. And that that is a powerful moment. I can remember when I ran my 1501, which hurts. No, <laughs> I ran 1504, not 1501. Shane Culpepper ran 1501. I ran 1504. See, this is where I start screwing up my PRs because I'm getting older. <laughs> well, just keep making them faster. I know, exactly. I, I, if I start saying I ran 14 something for the 5K, then you all know I've totally <laughs> lost it. But she ran 1501. I ran 1504. But I remember we were in it 
with about, I think it was 800 to go, and we needed to hammer because we were trying to hit the Olympic Olympic standard for the Olympic Games. And we just kind of looked at each other and we went. We went hard. And I will never forget that moment of having enough confidence to push even harder and to see if I could crank it the last 800 and get under 1508, which was the standard. We were right at 1508, 1509 pace when we started to hammer. And that last lap, we both took off. She ran like 50, I don't know, 58 or something. I ran 61. And we took off a ton of time. And it was really, really exciting. But that moment, it was like a shift. I was like, I got this. I can do it. Hang on to Shane. And and when we were done, we were high-fiving and so excited. And, you know, yeah, I was scared to death through most of that race because we were chasing the clock. And then once we kind of got up on our toes and started to really run, the confidence built. And it was a, it was a fun moment. There's no real feeling after a race than being rewarded for making a gutsy move. Like winning is cool. Setting a fast time is great. But knowing that I risked it yeah. and I was rewarded for it is a it's a solo feeling that doesn't get matched by many other things. Yeah. That is so true. And for you to hit the Olympic time with a move like you didn't get on a train. You know, you decided where the engine. That that is a that's a certain way to make that Olympic standard to hit that standard. Yeah, it was fun. We had a pacer through 3K and then we were on our own. We started to slow a little bit and then we kind of like woke back up. It was like, we have to go now. And um, we'll never forget that. I mean, I think both Shane and I were just like, that day we nailed it. Although we both kind of felt like, oh, if we would have just gone a little faster, we would have gotten under 15 minutes. You know, I mean, there's always the, oh, but we could have done this. <laughs> You had two more people with you through 4K. Yes, I know. Then you remind yourself how much it actually hurt in the moment. And it's easy to forget that too. Like the sting was so deep and it's, you know, you put yourself back feeling like that and you're like, would I have gone earlier? Could I have gone earlier? Would would that have turned out the same way? Oh, it's so easy. Our brains are good at numbing out how much the race sucks when it really gets real for the next (laughs) one. It's self-preservation again. Um, I'm going to pivot really quick. Um, last time you were the last and only, uh, training Tuesday guest we had, we thought we were going to start this podcast and we were going to take our guest and then make a separate training Tuesday segment with our guest. And you, I think, I think we did it once or twice and you're the only one. Did I ruin it? No, no, no. The bar was too high. Legit. Thank you for saying that. Logistically. With guests, you couldn't like record a whole episode and then be like, okay, cut. And now let's like do a second part. It just didn't work. Logistics. Oh. It wasn't smooth for us and probably the guest. Okay. And we started realizing we don't agree with half of our guests. Oh. Like we like what they talk about. We like them, but like their training principles. Some of them I just don't want to get on board with. Well, and I also think you two know so much about the body, the science, and a lot of us athletes are we just are told what to do and we do it. I mean, I know a lot of things, but I think you both have your experts at that. So I can understand where you might not like different philosophies. Yeah. A great runner is going to be a great runner, <laughs> but you may not want the average runner following what they're talking about. Very true. But but let's attempt any, let's attempt anyways, here is where I'm really getting. <laughs> so <laughs> let me just make sure everyone knows that I'm very simple. I got, I keep it simple, peeps. And we but she's not that. dizzy or anything. I get dizzy. 
Only through menopause. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the Dizzy Girl, people. <laughs> Straight Ugh. gold's coming your way. So you told me, we asked you, what are some of your favorite workouts? Like from back back in your training days, like in your high-performing, mm-hmm. high-competition days. And I still use and prescribe one of the workouts you said on that podcast. How good are you? What oh. workout was it that you, I think you gave us two or three. And they said, and you said, Oh, what another one I like. I want to know which workout you think it was. You told me, I want you to start with, then you can tell us all the workouts. Cause I want to hear a couple of them. Which one do you think you told me when we said, give us two or three. And you said this one. Oh, I didn't give you two or three. I just gave you one. No, you gave us a handful. Which one did stuck with me? Well, that's not fair because like they're the one that I, I, there's like three that you could use for any type of athlete, but this was longer. This wasn't like a track session. Okay. So 15, 10, 10, five. Yep. 15, 10, 10, five. Is it that one? Oh, that's the Dennis Barker special. And I love that workout and you use it now. I gave out 20, 10, five yesterday. Oh, with five minute recovery. Five. No. Oh, that's what I do. I did mile float in between. A mile float, okay. I'm more of a purist, Bracken. I'm more of a purist. I keep it to the to the roots, the 15, 10, 10, 5 with five-minute run recovery. I change it so I can claim it's mine. Uh-huh. My pride isn't as big as yours. My ego isn't nearly the size. I can take something for carrying, and give it to others. Okay. Yeah, it is a great workout. It sucks, actually. Those 10-minute bouts in the middle is where the money is made. You think it's going to get easier. The pace is going to ratchet down and you get about halfway through that first 10 and you're like, yeah, this isn't actually, this is actually way more work than I thought it'd get easier at the 10 and I'm suffering Mm -hmm. more. Why is that? Anyways. So good job. You got the first question, right? I want to hear, um, a handful of the workouts that stand out to you, uh, from back in your track days, maybe 5k workouts, that sort of stuff. Just a few. And honestly, this is selfish. I'm looking for a few more myself, um, to experiment with because I'm constantly doing that. So what are some? Well, I, as I mentioned already, the mile breakdown I love. And sometimes I do that times two. Cause so what basically, if you're on the track, you do a mile, 12, eight, four, and then two by two or four by four or four by two, excuse me, either two by two or four by two, whatever you want to do. If you want to add in a couple more and you take three minute recovery for the mile, the 12 and the eight, and then two minute recovery for the four and the twos. So I like that one. What pacing are you working towards on that? Like, what are we, what are we trying to hit and aim for on that? The five k pace usually for the mile and the twelve, and then when I was training for a three k, which a lot of people don't really train for three k, but you know, if you're a high school athlete, college athlete, um, then I would do the eight and four at about three k pace, and then the twos at mile pace. Um, sometimes I cheated a little bit on that and it may, maybe be the mile and the 12 would be at three K pace and then mile pace, 800 pace. So it's not cheating if you make it harder. Yeah. If I was really fit by the end of the season, typically it would be closer to those three K mile eight paces. And my coach would That's nasty. let me fly a little bit. Yeah. I think I got down my fastest. I think I ever did. It was 446 for the mile kind of maintain that for the 12 and then like a sub 220 for the eight and then probably like 64 or something for the the 400 and then crank out the twos running a mile at 3k pace is not no and then to keep on having stuff yeah you know the 1200 <sighs> and that workout is what hurts standing or walk recovery usually a slow jog okay 
I, and I kind of recommend that no matter what now. I mean, you could walk for a little bit, but then just pick it up to a real slow jog just to keep your heart rate up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I use now more so as an athlete, uh, you know, if I'm traveling or whatever and I only have 20, 30 minutes, I'll warm up a little bit and then I'll do like 10 by one minute on, one minute off. So like an in and out is what I used to call it. It's like a fartlek. Um, and I used to do it as a pro where I would run two miles with 200 meters on, 200 meters off, and mm. do that at 45 seconds for the on, no, for the off, and 35 seconds for the on. Is that right? It's like that old Oregon workout. Is that where it came from? It's similar. You should go 30-40, I think, back and forth for the men. So 35-45 would make sense for the women, yeah. Yeah, and I think I was 35-45. Is that running 520 pace average when it's all said and done, probably? Probably, yeah. So that'd be a good. A lot of that's a hard way to run ten forty in the two mile. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I love it, but I would do it like twice, like two by two mile when I was really fit. Now I just do like ten minutes of one minute on, one minute off. And five twenty was threshold for you at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like the ins and outs. I like a mile breakdown. Eight by four hundred was always a fun one for me. I would do that at three k pace with one minute recovery. So they got pretty spicy. Um. And hill repeats, please like keep those in your docket for the rest of your life. Like whenever you need something, someone can find an incline and they can go sprint for 10 to 30 seconds, walk, jog it down and do it again over and over again. What would be a more specific example of that? When and why would you do hills? What would be the exact setup? Oh, I mean, I'd do that anytime. Like, I guess they would be a little longer in the fall when I was training for an indoor and outdoor season. Um, But now... I mean, if I need to go and just sweat it out, get a good workout in, want to build a little bit of strength, I'll find a hill and sprint it. You know, if it's, like I said, 10 seconds or 30 seconds, I just sprint as hard as I can up the hill. And then I walk, jog down. And you know you're going to build strength and stamina and all of it in that workout. So it's just easy. I think people forget that running, it doesn't have to be so complicated. You know, we can go out for a 20-minute run, warm up for five minutes, and do intervals for 10 minutes and then cool down for five minutes, and you're going to walk away with some great fitness. So I don't think it's rocket science. I love a good long run. I mean, and and that's where the 15, 10, 10, 5 is a great um, way to just mix it up. You know, some people get bored in the long run. Well, then go and do some mini tempos in the middle of it. We're big advocates of the the threshold type long runs. Do you have any other, that was, you led me into it. That was gonna be mm-hmm. my last question. Is any other long run type workouts like the 15, 10, 10, five? Do you remember any others that you gravitated towards or coach would prescribe? Yeah, we would do progression runs a lot. I don't know if you subscribe the, or prescribe, subscribe. prescribe. Both love them. Love them. I think <laughs> it should my, be a staple. My words, but yeah, I love progression runs just because I think that brings out the elementary kid in us, right? I mean, who doesn't like to wind it up and have to sprint at home? I think Mm -hmm. that's so fun. (laughs) And I think you don't have to fear that workout. I think that's one of the beauty, the beauties of that is that it seems approachable. Mm -hmm. Even if you want to get nasty in the second half, you don't approach that workout thinking this is going to be nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel it, but you don't go to the well too much. Um. I also love where you break it up and it's whether it's every mile you do a surge at the very beginning of that mile, like a minute hard, 
at the beginning of each mile or you do the last minute of the mile hard. I think those are kind of fun. It's just an easy way to keep your mind engaged and not do too much. And a surge could just, you know, be half marathon pace. It doesn't have to be hard, hard where you're hanging on your knees after. Just surge for a minute or surge for three trees and then coast for another mile and then surge again for three more trees. Just break it up. I think people get they get bored out on runs. They also then start to think if you're like me, oh my goodness, I have a million things to do at home. Why am I out here running for eight miles? I should be home, you know, doing something else. (laughs) So if I have a certain plan, sometimes that keeps me out there a little bit longer. Yeah. It's funny the games we play. I like the uh, every new mile, you just run the first quarter hard. And then the next three quarters easy, and it does hard is yeah. subjective, right? But you don't real like it's like subjectively the the rate the run goes by twice as fast. You're like, how did that happen? Like just keeping you on the hook, yeah. Versus just dying a slow plodding death the entire time and feeling dull as heck by when you finish, right? You know what I mean about that steady long run. Sometimes it can just suck the life out of you, even though you're not working that hard, right? Every single time I read of any sort of workout with surges, I skip it. Really? It is my least favorite type of run outside of like intervals with surges. Like if you're going, let's say 400s and you surge for three for 100 at the 200 mark, you know, up on something like that. I need it scripted. But the five by one minute pickups in the middle, those workouts, for whatever reason, they just don't align with me mentally. I cannot stand either end of that workout. Hmm. And I understand why people would like it, why it'd be the opposite, but it is so grating to me mentally to not actually be running a workout and not actually not running a workout that like, it's like, I need the label. So why do you think surges is not a workout? Like what? Cause yeah, Bracken. Is it, was, why, is why, there a hang up? Like you, you just didn't right. like it. Like that is a workout. No, it is. But if I if I said it to you, we're going to do one minute on, or say we do one minute intervals with seven minutes recovery, would then you think of it in a different way? Probably. But then I would ask dumb questions. Why do we have seven minutes recovery? Well, how hard am I supposed to work in that one minute so that seven minutes feels like recovery? Or You know, I... I get too anal with workouts. Uh-huh. And so it e- either needs to be free form or it needs to, for me mentally. Again, I think it's a really useful, I prescribe <laughs> surges. I We have on our online training plan, we have uh, speed sprinkles. We have front end, middle and back end speed sprinkles for oh, like people that. where we're doing it in the front end this time. This time we're doing it in the middle. This time we're doing it on the back end. But I don't do them <laughs> because... <sighs> I'm too old, not that I'm old, but I'm too old to be doing workouts that I don't like. Yeah. Unless I, I don't like them and I know they're good for me. I agree. I can explain this one away and I, I wish I liked it. I think the thing is, is it's not that you don't like that workout. It's just the vocabulary around it. And that's what I think a good coach is, is they figure that out. Like, you know, for me, there were workouts that I really feared and I didn't want to do or I just it just didn't motivate me. And so coach would have to be like, we're going to do split 1500s (laughs) or we're going to do, you know, rather than we're going to do sets of whatever. Like if he would say we're going to do 24 by 200, it it kind of just made my blood boil because that's 24 things I have to count. Mm -hmm. And he would inevitably say at 14, what number are we on? I'm like, dude, you're sitting there. Dennis, D-Dog, we called him. (laughs) You are the one that can make a hash mark, you know, like, I don't know how many, but then, you know, eventually we would figure out a way to break it up or 
whatever. So I think that it's legit that you don't like the surges, but 100%. you still, like you said, you still tell people to do workouts like that. But one of my go-to is uppers where I go for a run on a trail and every flat and downhill is easy and I surge the uphills. Okay. Is that really any different? No, it's just a different, it's just a Am different way. Am I ever way. running for more than a minute hard? Yeah. No. no. So you're I right. Love it. It's about matching the, the connotation yep. to your personality. Yep. What a psycho. So interesting. Such a head case. So what I want to know uh, is um, if people uh, enjoy your conversation, which I know they do and will, where can they go like watch some of the races? Like what races have you commentated recently in the last year that might be out in the in the sphere of YouTube or wherever? And then what do you have coming up? Anything? Obviously, the Olympics kind of a big deal. Like uh, what have you done in the last six months? What do you plan on do the rest of the year commentating wise that you know of? I'm sure things will pop up, but. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm on Chicago, New York, Boston. I'll be in Berlin, I think. You said all next. the majors here? Yeah, I have, I've done Tokyo from the States one other time, but I have not been over there. That'd be fun to do. Um, not London. have not done London yet. So the, all six majors would be cool. But I think I have four on the docket this year. I probably said some, said one of them a little too soon, and I haven't signed a contract yet. So anyway, let's now hope. they have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then... I'll be at the Olympics, like I said, but I should be at the Olympic trials. I think it would be on USATF.TV that you'd hear my voice, Kara Goucher, and the NBC team will be doing the distance um, races on NBC. So we are not allowed to call those. So I'll do more MC work and things like that. So if you're there live, you'll see me. But yeah, I mean, there's there's something all the time. I mean, Brooks PR is coming up for the kids. I was at the Foot Locker Cross Country Championships for kids. Um, not doing NCAA outdoors, but I'll be doing NCAA Cross Country next fall again. You know, I think you're right, Kirk. I do a lot of the a lot of the stuff, but there are more more athletes and more analysts that are getting into it. And so just keep watching track like that's and road racing and all of it. It's just really a fun place to be. And it's cool that we have so many different platforms now that are airing it and, and showing these awesome athletes and their stories. And by the time this airs, it's going to be world indoor time. Oh yeah. Tomorrow, which will be Friday, Saturday and Sunday, world indoors is airing. And this is why you need a Peacock subscription, everyone, because you can watch all the meets live yeah. and replay. It's going to be a great meet. Oh my goodness. What a preview for what's going to happen in Paris. Isn't, is Tokyo coming up the Tokyo Marathon? Isn't that like now-ish? Yeah. Am I confused? That's next right? weekend. That's next weekend? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's next, or sorry. Well, it'll be this weekend, I guess. Um, yeah. Early, fe or early March, right? Yeah, so like in three weekend. days or whatever. Okay. And yeah. then, and then Boston and London will be following suit there. So if you're marathoners. Okay, and then the last question, uh, and then we're going to let you go, is uh, if you could only commentate one event, uh, one specific distance, one event, one championship, what is your favorite to commentate? Like, what really brings out the best in Kerry Tolson? What do you get up for the most? Tracksmith 5000? Yeah. You can say that. It's okay if it's a Tracksmith 5000. I understand your emotional attachment to those events. I'm coming up for it this year. Oh, that's right. Now that I know for sure you're going to be on the mic. Oh, I love those. I mean, that's the thing. It's, that's a really hard question, Kurt, because I love it all. I love the community races. I love the best of the best, you know, the elite of the elite. Um, 
I'd probably get up for the New York, Boston, and Chicago marathons the most. I don't know why. You know, I was not a marathoner, but I have time to tell the story of the athletes in that mm. race. And as much as I love track and field, uh, you know, we're bopping around all the different events and we can't really get into why these athletes are who they are. And so when you get a two-hour window to talk about, you know, 10 athletes, it's it's fun because you get to really share their stories and and what they've been doing and what they do off the off the roads and things like that. So I didn't name one. Sorry, but okay. I, I really like the marathons. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you name one because before you go, I have one last question. Okay. I came to the realization this last world championship cycle that there are two races that I get more nervous for watching than any other distance. Oh. And I'm curious, what races, when you're watching or commentating, do you actually get the most like jittery for that race? Not because of you, but because of the the race, even if you weren't commentating, just watching it. What gets to you? Well, I would have to say the hurdles. They're so fast. Anything can happen. I don't know a ton about them, but I'm invested in them. So I try, like if I have to do commentary mm. for it, you know, I'm trying my best. And I would have to say the hurdles. And plus, we're so good at them here in America that it's like, yes. oh my gosh, come on, let's just do it. It's a good answer. How about you? Mine's 1500 or mile. Okay. And NCAA cross. Oh, it is awesome. I love cross. Those two just like get me the most involved yeah. for whatever reason. Yep. Me too. See, I could go, I could say yes to every single event. <laughs> It's rare somebody would say an event they didn't participate in because you weren't a hurdler. Actually, I, I was surprised by that answer. But um, you're right. Very intense. Very on the dime. Otherwise, you fail. Well, and I never made NCAAs for cross. <laughs> it is the best. Cross country is so much fun. And I think because I don't get nervous to call that event. I mean, I do, mm. but it's I know it. But when I'm watching yeah, right. the hurdles, you know, even uh, the 100, it goes by so fast that if I have to call anything, it's usually on the replay. Um, but the hurdles are just so technical and mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Kirk? Yeah. What about 15, you, Kirk? 1500 only because you put yourselves in the athlete's shoes. Like that was the race I ran and like, you know how intense it is off the gun and the jacking early and you can just, you brings, it's just nostalgic and you, it just makes you feel what you used to feel. So 1500 for sure. To me, it's the best worst distance. It's too short to screw up and it's too long to just go. You have to pace, you have to have strategy, and you can't get a move wrong. But I love calling that race. Like, that doesn't make me nervous. Okay. That, because I do go back like you do, Kirk, and mm -hmm. I get into it. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys heard Kara Goucher calling the, um, when Yara Nagus was going after the the world record in America, and then he ended Wanna up getting the, it? no, it was mm -hmm. out at um, Pre last year. I think it was Pre. But she's okay. going crazy. You know, and I, it was just because she was feeling that passion. And that is so fun. Like, she didn't even remember she was on the mic, probably, you know, <laughs> she was racing it herself. And that is, you know, that's how I feel, too, when I get into those races. But I do get very nervous calling any race because you know how hard these athletes are working and you want to portray that. Well, that's what makes you good. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll be hearing your voice coming up. They don't show your face as much when you commentate. They usually just leave your voices. Some races you never get to see you guys' smiling face. So they should they should cut in once in a while. Um, all right, let's wrap this thing. Uh, yeah, 
hopefully everybody will recognize your voice and uh, what race they're watching coming up. Be like, that's Carrie. That's her. They got to listen to you for an hour and a half, so they should <laughs> oh, be ingrained in there. You. Um, all right. And then you have a podcast, uh, C Tally Run. I believe that's how you would look it up, correct? Mm-hmm. The letter C. Yep. Ctallyrun.com. Tallyrun. Probably find it wherever you find your podcast, yep, right? Just like my name, Carrie Tollefson, but C Tally. Olympian Carrie Tollefson, as we were taught last time. <laughs> Did I tell you to say that? Demanded it. Once an Olympian, always an Olympian. That's right. And you definitely shout it, shout it from the rooftops. I was just with Dakota Lindworm last night and you know, she's running the marathon in Paris. And afterwards, she and I are going to go get our tattoos because I've never gotten the tattoo. Really? So she and I are going to go get the rings. And But she said, I have to get through the race first in order to get yeah. it. And mm. I said, hey, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. Carrie, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy woman, and we had to schedule this out a little way. So thank you. It's been great, like always. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. Good luck on the mic this summer. Thanks. If anything resonated with you on today's episode and you're curious about taking your training to the next level, check out therunningpublic.com where we have a training plan to fit your needs.